Starting a podcast can be very time-consuming. I've been doing it for more than three years now, and my biggest challenge was finding a way to distribute my episodes across major audio platforms in a way that was easy, effective, and free to use. That's when I came across Anchor. And the best part is that you can actually make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So if you're interested, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Senior executive, been in the sales business space for a very long time now. She's a CEO of It, uh, but she's also a passionate networker, a fitness enthusiast, a speaker, a director, and so much more. Victoria, very happy to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. So, you know, obviously, if, if one looks at your sort of background, your story, your experience, a lot of it was within business. But I think it's interesting for a lot of people to know as a start, you went to the University of Calgary, you got a degree in psychology and law. So how was that for you sort of studying that, that degree, getting it and then transitioning into sales, into business and growing as a leader? Yeah, so um, I'll, I'll say it wasn't what I had planned. So the goal from early childhood was to become a lawyer. I, I'll jokingly say I think I watched, um, or my mom had on TV, because it would date me if I said this, watched too much L.A. Law. Okay. The series back then and Corbin Burnson, whatever. So, um, you know, the 11-year-old that had a crush on him and loved, you know, watching that. I think that's what the plan was. So I needed, um, you know, you need an undergrad degree before you go to law school. Uh, so I took psychology. I thought understanding, you know, psych would help me somehow as I got into the world of either corporate or criminal law. Um, so that was the path, but I, um, or the planned path. And I worked um, while I was in school. I worked for Bank of Montreal in contact center, flexible environment, and uh, quickly got promoted up the the chain and, um, you know, started in a leadership capacity. And I realized I really loved what I was doing there. Um, mm -hmm. I loved the business aspect of things, coming up with new solutions for, you know, our clients there and for my team. And so when I had the opportunity to relocate to Toronto, um, with the bank at that point for a promotion, I said, you know, let me let me take a year off and work um, mm -hmm. and then make a decision to either um, stay in Toronto and go to U of T um, or go back to Calgary and then uh, and ideally go to law school. So two things I did not do is either move back to Calgary and I never went to law school and uh, <laughs> since stayed in business ever since. And, and would you say that that actually was was a good decision if you look back like overall? overall impact do you think that was uh the best scenario for where you are today as well yeah you know i reflected on it a number of years after and someone asked me and i don't know it was my mom at the time or a friend asked you know if what the plans were if i was you know planning to go back to school and you know at that point i looked at it and um and and even probably as recently as you know probably five or ten years ago i just you know sort of thinking back i one i i live with no regrets period that mm. that's how i live my life um but for me i actually think this what I, I'll often refer to as sort of the non-linear path corporately or professionally, um, you know, is, is something that I think was fantastic. You know, I found a path that, you know, I, I think was ultimately a better fit for me. You know, not that I don't still spend a ton of time pouring over contracts for business and, you know, the le legal side, you know, um, you know, of, of that comes out. But, you know, being engaged, sitting in front of clients, leading teams, coming up with solutions, um, you know, and the creative aspects of that, I think was and is continues to be the best for, fit for me. So 
no regrets whatsoever in terms of not having go chosen to go down that path. And in fact, I think if I hadn't taken the year to come and work, I, I might never have realized that or or realized it, you know, m much too late. And maybe after I, you know, gone through law school and articled and toiled away for 80 hours a week, you know, over, you know, getting getting coffee for other partners in, the, in, in a firm or, um, you know, doing, you know, borgle, you know, boring administrative legal work. So, so I really want to ask, ask you this because I think you'll appreciate this sort of uh, distinction. But you know, we were both at Haste and Hustle, right? There was a lot of young entrepreneurs, a lot of ambitious people on all fronts, all ages, different sort of spaces that they play in. I think that the common theme you often hear now is there's this like huge romanticizing of entrepreneurship, you know, for whatever it is. And I often joke, I'm like, ten years ago, you say entrepreneur, that's pretty much self, you know, unemployed, right? If if you said that term in public, so you have this romanticizing of entrepreneurship. But you also have this other front that looks at you know the, the corporate jobs that that we may have is is like this nine to five. Like if you're in a corporate job, you're you're just a nine to five person, and you're often lazy or you don't care about you know putting yourself out there or being successful. How did you wrestle with that then? How do you balance that today, and how do you have a balance of both? So I I feel like I'm I've been a lifelong intrapreneur right so the um entrepreneur within inside a corporate organization um you know that's that's in my nature and that's in my dna one two i've always had um you know the side hustle so it's funny gary vaynerchuk uses that that was my phrase long before i heard gary say it um but you know i've always had this side hustle always worked as you know a separate job to help you know fund additional things in this case even help me fund the acquisition of the company i have today um, you know, so making the, you know, the leap from, you know, being a quote unquote hired gun, you know, working in these large organizations to now owning my own business, you know, was something I've long since thought about, but, um, it, not everyone's cut out for it to be completely transparent. I'll be honest. I am not, um, I'm not a startup girl. Right. Mm -hmm. So validated, you know, was not my baby and that it wasn't, you know, my idea and I toiled and I did not build the technology. You know, yeah. I may, I may in this case buy and then build and grow and scale. Um, I think for those who, you know, have that phenomenal, you know, idea and are startup people like that's excellent. You know, but the one thing I see and I'm heavily involved in, you know, the startup community now, whether that be through, I mean, my company is a graduate of Mars and still receives support through Mars and also the Canadian Tech Accelerator Program. But I also support CEO, which are female led, you know, ventures. And so highly involved in this space. And I see a huge mistake that a lot of these, um, you know, business innovators and entrepreneurs make, which is thinking, you know, that they have to do it all. Yes, um, and I and I get you know cash is king and you, the need to have money to spend to do certain things, but I, I'm also a huge advocate of things like Fiverr and Upwork, where you can find people with the right skill set to help you in that business, right? So I look at some of the companies that I even partner with now, and some of those founders who came up with a phenomenal idea, you know, great uh, built a great platform or technology that we might actually integrate with they're not actually great business leaders and it's okay as an entrepreneur to recognize and admit that and find that talent through alternative means. Um, and I think that's why, you know, there's lots of failure before success because people need to stumble and realize that I, I actually think that my corporate career um, as the hired gun within the safety and boundaries of knowing I'm getting a paycheck every two weeks, um, 
and the failures that came in those environments with big corporations like American Express or Brookfield or Aon or Nike companies I work with, um, you know, have helped me where I am today. Yeah, that, that's very interesting. And you draw on a very critical point, which is side hustles, right? I mean, uh, you know, I can resonate with this because obviously the podcast is one example of that side hustle that I have, and, and it keeps me super, you know, passionate about. I mean, you can call it a passion project, a side hustle, a side venture, and I think they're super important to have on the repertoire. You know, you you were you're referring to all these big companies that you were part of, Amex, Nike, Aon, you know, and, and, and now to your own to your own company after the acquisition. Along the way, when when you actually have side hustles, one question I often get is like, you know, it, it's it's great, I'd love to have a side hustle, George, but how do you how do I actually balance my time one? And how do I find, you know, synergies in the things I do that actually lead to the, you know, to the next level that I'm actually trying to reach? Like, how was that for you? What was your mindset then? Um, you know, so I, I often get asked in, in a different way maybe of, of even phrasing that of like, how do you fit it all in? How do you manage it all? Um, you know, so unfortunately, I live by this right here in the calendar that sits on it, right? You know, so when I go on vacation, all I want is, you know, typically an all-inclusive or the only schedule I live by is when the buffet or my restaurant reservation is, period. Otherwise, it all gets scheduled in. So, you know, I'm a big believer that you make time for the things that you want to make time for. So fitting in the side hustle, you know, you know, it just becomes a part of, you know, how you do your day. So if you're working for, you know, a corporate environment and even let's say you're, you know, more of an entry level employer, you're newer in your career, you have less flexibility than someone like I would have working for one of these organizations. You have to work nine to five. The fact is, get really smart around how you work in the nine to five. You know, I've long since learned, um, you know you know, around the things I'm capable, you know, of delivering, I should be delivering and how and when to say no to things so that I can, you know, get my quote unquote day job done so that I could leave. I'm also, I have children. So, you know, there's time for family involved in that and then spending, you know, time, you know, on, on the passion projects, on the things, you know, that you love, you know, um, the side hustle for me, should actually be for the most part, but not always something that you're passionate about. It's a lot easier to, you know, add an extra 20 or 30 hours to your work week when it's doing something that you really enjoy and you love or you're passionate about, you know, so it's get really smart with how you manage your time, calendar it, calendar it well. That includes things like networking, you know, so for me, that's non-negotiable. That's actually part of how I work. Yeah. That means, you know, unfortunately, my poor assistant needs to find the time and give me commuting time if need be, you know, but to allow myself to do that, but get really good at managing your time and calendaring it all. And quite honestly, saying thing, no to the things that are not of value to the, the job you get paid for and maybe the passion project or side hustle you're working on. And, and, and what were some of your side hustles back then? What are some of them right now? Can you give us some examples? Yeah, so I have long since um, provided consultative support on a variety of things, um, you know, to a number of clients, um, to, you know, owning a, I started years ago, and it was actually a personal passion. I, you know, I'm, I'm a big, you know, um, advocate around health and wellness and fitness. And at one point, that led me to looking at sort of natural Products. So I started doing, you know, for myself, not with the intention to sell natural bath and body works products, you know, so my own soap, for example, well, you can't make a single bar of soap. So you, you know, you have to make a whole batch. Well, that turned into presents for people, you know, at the holidays that, you know, where people responded so well to that I created a business around it. 
Um, and I achieved, you know, I got some support, you know, in, in doing that. But when that grew so big and I needed to incorporate that company, the, you know, company incorporation where you need to, you know, identify what the business activities are, I put natural bath and bodywork products and then 25% of my time being allocated for consulting activities, whatever those are. To more recently, um, you know, I had a wholesale like buy and sell business. That was a side hustle I had for a couple of years that quite frankly did extremely well for me that put direct cash in the bank that allowed me to pay cash for my company assisted. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that, that wasn't solely it. Um, you know, but something, you know, Gary V at Gen, Gen Now actually talked right about getting free stuff off the internet and then going and selling it on Facebook Marketplace or wherever, right? It's those types of things. Hmm. That's very interesting. So, so, uh, and, and the reason I ask is only because, you know, a lot of my friends who want those side hustles, they, they often feel like, you know, it's either I have to do a podcast or they feel kind of, you know, crammed or cornered that I have to do a blog. And, and there's a lot of stuff out there that I think a lot of people might not think about that also might be very simple maybe not the most sexy too at the same time. So you did talk a little bit about when you're saying like prioritizing, having those side hustles and using your calendar to network. I love networking a lot and I actually prioritize that, you know, in my week as well. And that's actually why I call my podcast, let's grab coffee because every email I send be like, Victoria, hope you're having a great week. Let's grab coffee and more re reconnect or catch up. Right? So, uh, with that premise, how do you go about networking? What are some to do's, you know, things to watch out for, um, and how do you how do you actually strategize, strategize networking uh, to make it most effective for you and your business? Okay. So, you know, I'm a, first of all, I'll say I'm a, what I call a quasi open networker, you know, so I, I think I'm up to close to 9,000 connections on LinkedIn, you know, that pales in comparison to many others. Um, I'd say 75% of those people I do know when I've interacted directly. I'll otherwise accept connections or I myself will seek out connections because we have a ton of shared connections and I think it's someone what I should get to know. We have the same industry, you name it. So, but I'm, I, what I, I see a lot of people do, I get these connection requests and then no one does anything with it. You know, there's a lot of, I refer to electronic courage, right? It's really easy to click the connect button. Mm -hmm. um, but then do nothing with it. So, you know, my advice is you, you need to take it beyond the electronic realm when you're in the same location. I get it. It's not not possible um, when you're you're not in the same city, um, but it's a phone call is always possible. Um, mm -hmm. You know, but I think you need to take it outside of that. You know, I think people do business with people they like and they trust and they want to do business with. Right. One. Two is networking for me. Um, I don't go in it with the intent to sell my business, a product, a service, um, you need to look at it purely as building relationships. You know, so you're building a relationship with someone, building that trust, building that like for someone. So, and, and certainly you're gonna talk about what you do, what your day job is, what your side hustle is, um, so that, you know, when an opportunity pops up, hopefully that person goes, oh my God, I, you know, like I, you know, just met Victoria, like let me reach to her and see if that's it. You know, yeah. there's this notion of, um, you know, Keith Ferrazzi in Never Eat Alone, um, you know, there, you know, talked about this notion around networking for, you know, it's generosity and not greed. You mm -hmm. know, so for me, it's, it's always that I'm not even going to say pay it forward. It's just do it, you know, go into, you know, that coffee, you know, authentically, you know, and with purpose just to get to know someone. I think the benefits that we hope in from a business perspective, you know, that's an outcome later. And it might not be in that first meeting. And that's a mistake I see many people make. So, you know, for me, it's 
let's have a conversation let's talk openly transparently let's get to know one another um and then who knows where things will evolve from there yeah yeah it, it's often like i mean it's not so transactional i'm trying to be genuine and actually build a friendship i always use this quote it's, it's more of a sales one but it says sale will earn you a commission and a friendship will earn you a fortune right and i think the issue with that though is it's not it's not really uh, tangible or valuable maybe in the short term but you're building long-term equity and that reciprocity and creating that value up front always goes a long way so yeah. I, I love hearing that too um you know how do you one of the things obviously and you're saying this too it's you know the courage is easy but doing it in person is probably the most difficult part and also with nine thousand plus connections your network becomes really big right i'm sure you have people all over the world not just in toronto right um how do you how do you go about maintaining those relationships because i think that's also a, a portion of networking right keeping you know staying in the radar um you know just hey how's it going Victoria? just wanted to get an update catch up how do you maintain do you use your calendar for that how, how do you how do you go about doing it i used to be a bit of a you know a nazi around my um outlook contacts and maintaining those linkedin has actually become that tool for me now Right. So, I mean, people are going to when they change companies their if their company was email was the one attached to it, they're changing it to their new company email or, or it's the personal email. So LinkedIn is my professional contact networking management tool. So that's how I know I can always stay connected to, to someone that way. One, two is I mean, they do. It does a really great job of telling you when it's people's birthdays or anniversaries, which make it a natural way just to drop a quick line to people. You know, like, hey, so, so, hey, it's your birthday. We haven't seen each other for a while. I want to go grab, grab a glass of wine, treat on me, you know, that kind of thing. Um, you know, to, you know, I also, um, I think because I do so much and I live by my calendar, I'm also, it's easy for me to forget things. So in the moment, I send myself an email, you know, so that at the end of my coffee meeting, should it pop up then, you know, I remind myself I need to get in contact with someone or I just do it right then and there. You know, so it's instantaneous for me. Otherwise, I'm going to forget. So if LinkedIn's not prompting me and I just naturally am thinking, I'm sitting on the subway and I'm thinking about someone, then, you know, ping them, send send a note or a reminder to myself later to, to do it. Love it. Love it. Yeah. I mean, those are all great points. Calendar reminders, just alerts, maybe email to yourself, anything. Because obviously, as these connections grow, you're going to lose track. I and mean, you also have 100 other things you're doing. It's not just networking. That's on the periphery. So. I love that micro advice, Victoria. So thank you for that. Uh, we talked a bit about networking, a bit about personal branding, and, and just you know getting out there and the whole business side. Your journey has a very cool thing about it in the fact that you even mentioned this. You're an entrepreneur, but you also purchased your business. And then you went through an MA, which is kind of interesting yourself. Like you actually bought the business, became the CEO, now you're running it. Can you can you just walk through that process? How did that happen? How'd you go about doing it? Um, you know, who was the team that helped you sort of execute? I'd love to, to just dig, dig in a little more on that. Yeah. So I, I've actually been through, um, I think it's 16, I was trying to count, but 16 mergers or acquisitions, wow. um, a joint venture began and end at divestitures um, through the, the corporations I've worked for. So I've actually had a lot of experience doing it that way. That said, you know, buying my own company, you know, was something I hadn't done before. And it was actually at a much smaller scale than those other 16 that I've done, you know, you know, through other companies. Um, you know, so for me, I, first of all, I'll tell you, I um, buying validated. It wasn't a, um, it wasn't a target for me initially in terms of companies I was looking to buy. Going back to, you know, passion projects, side hustle. I was actually looking to buy a company that was 
aligned somewhere around the personal passions I have over health, wellness, fitness, one. Two, I wasn't actually planning on running it as the CEO. Um, for me, um, you know, I've made a, many other companies a lot of money um, and it was time to do it for myself. So, you know, investing and buying a company was much more about being smart around how I invested my own money and capital and to see it grow and having, you know, more ability to control that. Now, in terms of how I went about it, so actually it was networking. I will tell you is how it became um, identified as an opportunity for me. Um, I had engaged a business broker to help me find a company, but um, I had lunch with a woman whose daughter I coach at hockey. Um, and, you know, we got, we connected in the arena and um, we then got connected on LinkedIn. Saw we had some shared connections. I'm like, hey, like, why don't we go out sometime? So we went for lunch. You know, and proverbial first question, what do you do as you're starting to get to know someone? And she said, oh, you know, I have these few businesses and validate it, um, you know, was one that she'd had an offer on from a VC to buy previously and hadn't sold it. She said, I'm not sure what I'm going to do with it. Not really into technology. And I just simply said, tell me more. You know, so for me, I also saw an opportunity much more broadly than um, how she was running the business. Her background was market research and validated is a technology company with services um, and she focused primarily on market research for me it's a data and analytics company right we are a technology company that collects data and then i've got you know um, both tools and people that can do analytics so i saw an opportunity even though it wasn't one i thought i was going to be looking at so then in terms of how i went about buying it is i did surround myself you know with a team of people smarter around this than i you know, so I, I do happen to have some friends that are either in venture capital or private equity um, to help me just in terms of shaping the deal and some of the terms I needed to look at. And then I've leveraged some of my existing network and people that I've worked with. So I brought in, you know, my now CTO um, was part of my due diligence team. You know, a man that, you know, used to work for me, but now owns his own company, but really smart in the tech and deal making space. You know, I brought, you know, him in you know, to help me with this. And then, you know, my, some finance experts to come in as well. So, you know, to my earlier point of, I think many entrepreneurs think they need to do it themselves. You know, yeah. like I've long since learned there, I mean, there's, there are many things I'm, I'm quite good and capable at, but I also can recognize those that I'm not. And yeah. when I, and that I can say, I don't know what I don't know. So I, I, I built a great team who, quite honestly, helped me, I, you know, work through the, the due diligence process and ultimately acquisition. That, that's awesome. And, and I, I love the fact that, like, you, you, we just talked a lot about networking, right? And what's funny is within that whole story, you know, from the fact that you're coaching uh, someone's daughter, you just went out for, for a coffee or a lunch, and then out of this whole thing, you end up purchasing your business. Then when you go about actually doing it, you then tap into your network again in the investment side. You know, so you never actually know as you're growing your network. And I don't think people will, will, will know when you tap into those connections, right? But when the time comes that you need them, it's so much easier for you because you've already done that relationship building. You pick up the phone and say, hey, Sam, hey, Samantha, I need your help on this. Done. You know, versus actually building that up front when you actually need it and you're more reactive versus proactive. So that that's super cool. And, and kudos to you on um, actually completing that transaction and then and now running it. So, you know, when, when you look at yourself as a CEO, um, what, first of all, what's your leadership style? How do you, how are you building your teams? What are some things you look for when you're building those team, uh, team members? And, and, you know, maybe when you're hiring someone, give me just a, sort of a case leadership style, but also in the hiring process. Sure. So, um, you know, my leadership style, 
Um, yeah, I think if you ask those who you know work with me in the past, I, I do. I'm fortunate to have a fairly strong followership, so people who have come along the journey with me, sure. um, which is phenomenal, and that's um, not just because we like one another, but we have trust and confidence and loyalty, um, you know, with one another. Um, but they will also tell you that I, I'm tough, um, but I'm fair. Uh, you know, so um, I set, you know, a high bar, um, but one with which, I mean, I hold myself accountable to as well. Yes. You know, I have this philosophy, um, you know, that there are no schedules, there are just deliverables. You know, so in fact, I don't actually care where you do the work and when you get it done, provided it gets done with quality and delivering to our client, our end clients or users. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's another big point. Um, you know, I worked for banks you know, who are evolving in that thinking, but for many of them think you need to be in the office and be seen. Yeah. Um, that's, that's not my style. Um, you know, I, um, I, I love, you know, the phrase and I've adopted it much more broadly than its original intent, radical candor. Um, so Kim Scott, you know, and um, phrase that, um, and it's a style of giving um, feedback directly to your team. I live by that um, in all facets, not just of my leadership style, but what you get when you work with me is, I mean, everyone will always know where they stand. Right. Uh, I'm going to give immediate feedback um, and or appropriate and timely, not appropriate as, as we're sitting in front of it in, in a meeting with colleagues or clients, you know, but I'm going to give that feedback both, you know, you know, huge kudos and like credit where credit is due. Um, but at the same time, give them some coaching and development in terms of areas that they could improve. Um, and I'm, I'm not one who will ever hold one of my team members back um, just because I need them and they help make me and the organization or the team better. You know, so I will have the development conversations very early on in terms of where do they see their career path going? What are the next steps for them? How do I help them get there? Mm. Um, you know, and, you know, in some cases that's, a, you know, recognizing that for some individual contributors, they're, Leadership might not be the best path for them, but there's some other things that they could do, you know, again, that sort of non-linear, it doesn't need to be, you know, straight up. Um, and having those types of, you know, you know, conversations, you know, for sure, I'd say around leadership. And then on hiring, I, quite frankly, I, not that I don't care if you have an MBA, but that, but I don't care if you have an MBA, um, you know, so it's, um, you know, education is not everything for me. I want to see experience, but I also want to see aptitude um, and um, attitude. You know, mm -hmm. so if someone, you know, can come in with six or seven of the 10 requirements, but I see that they, you know, have a desire to learn. I think that they're going to be a great fit with within our team, within our organization, with the client that they might be serving. That goes far for me. I've spent a lot of certainly the last decade in um, or actually probably longer, 15 years or so in client facing roles commercially. Um, yeah. So for me, you know, the ability for the individuals to build relationships immediately and come across with confidence. Those are huge points in my book from a hiring perspective. That's that. Yeah, it's, it's obviously very big. And, and I think to your point. That's also not the one that's probably taught most uh, from an education perspective. It's always like the IQ versus EQ, uh, the emotional intelligence. When I'm talking to you, for example, I'm, I'm picking up cues like, "Am I am I losing you? Is your energy down? Am I?" And kind of being a chameleon. You go to relate this because I'm in sales too, and in sales, I often you know joke that you kind of have to be a chameleon, right? Always adapting to your to your environment, to the people you're talking to. Um, so you're obviously looking for people who are energetic, 
hustlers, ambitious, right energy, right fit. How would you describe then your culture, like overall culture from the team you already have now? How would you sort of describe the, the current culture? So I'm, I'm currently leading a much smaller team overall than I'm used to. Um, you know, I'm used to, you know, having direct r reports of upwards to 15, probably a little bit too large and indirect reports up to thousands. So wow. validated isn't that big, um, you know, but you know what I'd say the culture that I've built time and again yeah. um, is, is first of all, high performance teams. So I said, I'm, you know, I'm yeah. tough, but I'm fair. I set the standards. So I think everyone would know that those are my expectations. So we build high, high performing teams and culture. Okay. Um, next is one around, you know, it's regardless of what product or service you're selling, whether you're sitting in front of a client um, or you've got internal clients, again, it's about relationship. You know, so my expectation is that even if you're working virtually, first of all, team meetings for me, once a month, I would mandate everyone for the most part works virtually you come in we're sitting we're going to face to face once a month for a couple hours we can meet, meet for half a day and then we'll have some lunch or whatever yeah. um you know so we're still having that sort of interaction um you know but really really importantly for me is around um again radical that radical candor so we're going to have transparent open communications you know mm -hmm. talk about what's working well and what's not you know i you know have come from environments that were highly passive aggressive you know there's a meeting after the meeting because no one actually wants to say in that meeting how they really feel or they might disagree with a strategy or or an idea that is not a culture that i support and foster and continually attempt to break down harder in big corporate environments to do that certainly within the my company it's one i control i see i love that yeah and, and i guess and, I think that for the long term is always better too because you're transparent. Like it might be more difficult in, in real time, but when you actually do it, you know, one people see you as more transparent. You're you're communicating openly, and for for us millennials, I think that's that's also something we love, like immediate feedback and really knowing where we stand. Because when you deal with ambiguity, not in terms of your role, but in terms of the direction you're going to, that can be frustrating too. Like I might be going on a direction, I don't know if that's the right one for the whole company for my for myself. So I I, I like that. Um, so. Look, you obviously have a lot of things going on, right? And, and we just talked about sort of, a, and this is from a very high level, but uh, you know, all the things in your portfolio, all the stuff that you're doing. Right now, just if you look in, right behind you, there's sort of success, but there's also nutrition facts, which I love. I think 100% <laughs> hustle, so. <laughs> yeah. Um, nutrition, fitness, health, that's very important to you. And I don't think you could, you'll probably be able to offer it at the speed and, and stamina that you are without it. Um, what, what's, what's your formula for success from, from that perspective? So I, I think one of the first things many people forego as they get busy is um, health, wellness, and fitness, right? And I hear a lot of excuses around that. Oh, I just sit so late and I can't do it. You know, so I long since learned, you know, I, I am, I happen to be a morning person. But when I need to get up at four o'clock because I've got an early flight or whatnot to still make sure that I get to the, to the gym, it hurts. Like, don't don't get me wrong. Um, but for those who think they're going to try and get out at lunchtime or after work, for sure, things come up. So for me, um, I I stopped making excuses around that. And I've started to say no. Right. So, you know, I, it, at Aon, you know, global organization, you know, with large teams in Europe and India. And that would mean calls um, very early hours of the day. Well, 
couple of, I don't like people who talk in, on the phone at the gym, but there were a couple of times I needed to sort of hang out for a few minutes to do that myself. Um, but otherwise I'd say no, like I'm at the gym from 5.30 to 7 or 7.30 and, you know, I'm available, you know, all sweaty at 7, 7.30 in the morning to take a call, but that time is sacred for me. Um, not that I will never say no and I won't be flexible, but I'm generally fairly rigid around that. Um, you know, I've also been quite disciplined. You know, I had to go on a, you know, three-day conference while I was in the middle of like a fast. Um, you know, so to say no to, you know, I love wine. You know, so I have to say no, you know, to wine and some of the food that they, you know, snacks they bring out are tough. But, you know, there is some discipline that comes around that. But I think it's really important that we don't sacrifice, mm. uh, you know, on that being physically well. And if you're a person like me where fitness happens to be an outlet as well, then once you start compromising that, everything else slips. So I, I really say people need to make, you know, time for that. And one of the best times to do that is first thing in the morning, because nothing else is going to blow out the rest, you know, rest of your day and, um, you know, and push that out otherwise. Yeah, it's very true, especially if, if you're in, like in, in a front office position, like the sales uh, role, you know, you have drinks at night and uh, conferences or events or networking sessions, and, and you can't always say no to them, right? And so, as you pointed out, it's, you know, my formula has, has also been kind of like, instead of scheduling a day off, there's always going to be something that, that happens. And so when it does, it's kind of like a, you know, rationalization. I'm like, well, I have an event tonight, so you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna take off and, and enjoy that that one day. Um, you're a morning person. I love that morning person as well. And I think a lot of people find that annoying in some cases if they're not. You know, we're like the, the five a.m. is like, hey, how's it going? You know, it's like just up with energy. What's your What's your morning routine like? What do you What do you typically do? So I get up um, unless I have one of these early flights or an early meeting or something. Generally, um, I wake up at five or five thirty. Okay. Um, and I head straight to the gym. Um, so, you know, I do 75 to 90 minutes at the gym okay. um, and then come home. And um, if I need to, I'll take a call in my, you know, sweaty gear before I go and have a shower um, and then really start the day. Uh, and then I go. But then, you know, from, you know, generally 830 or nine o'clock onwards, you know, it's it's back to back. Um, I mean, it's truly scheduled, you know, so I schedule my commute time just so no one's going to within the company is going to, you know, book me for something. And so yeah. it's all completely scheduled. Um, I've gotten really smart at understanding, though, um, you know, when I think things are going to go over. So an hour often with some people is not enough. So I always make sure in my calendar it actually shows an hour and a half, you know, so I'm not going over, um, you know, and I can manage it. You know, then for me, you know, I try and I often go till probably 630 or last night, it happened to be seven o'clock. My kids happen to be teenagers, so they don't need me around. Um, you know, not sorry, they need me in a very different way than a five or six year old would need me. Um, I certainly don't need to be there to make their dinner um, anymore. So, you know, I then, you know, try and take a couple of hours uh, to um, I, I am often at events or networking, but those that I'm not, you know, it's a um, literal, not proverbial Netflix and chill. Um, oh. you, you know, <laughs> so, you know, literal, it's either CNN or Netflix, but you know, Netflix, watch a movie with my husband and then lights off. This is the sad thing though, is lights off or nine is nine or nine 30. Um, uh, and start it, start it all over again. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, I mean, everyone's, everyone's, uh, sort of, you know, pervy to the, to the Netflix thing. And what's your current show right now? Like, is there, is there a specific show that you're watching? Um, no, uh, 
Oh, well, I am catching up on Amazon Prime on Mr. Robot. Um, it, I love that show. That's it, um, however, I went on a marathon of forensic files. Really? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I who knew that antifreeze was like the leading cause of like poisoning, like for murder. But yeah, th those were my recent ones. Recent ones. So, Vic, look, obviously this was, uh, you know, fun in, in different respects. I think people get to see the, the personal side and how you how you balance and it. At the end of the day, it all, it all comes to priorities, right? You just don't make excuses. You can wake up and say it's snowing outside. It's minus 10, minus 5, and it's April. You're like, I don't give a crap. I'm going to get... I'm going to get myself to the gym. I'm going to do that workout and start my day. So that's what I love about it. Um, and, and it's awesome hearing that from you, from your perspective. I wanted you, because a lot of my, you know, my, my community members um, are also sort of women getting into entrepreneurship and sales and business. I really wanted to ask this on behalf of them as well. What advice would you give them, you know, uh, whether it's university, going through internships, co-op, or their first gig, their first career move? What advice would you give them, especially in business or a front office job like sales where sometimes it can be challenging? Um, yeah, one tip, one advice, something that, that can really help impact them. Um, so first and foremost, I'm going to say is, is around confidence. Um, I think generally, um, you know, there, many women are, you know, afraid or view themselves lesser than their male counterparts. Uh, you know, there's a study that was done around, you know, how men and women apply for jobs and around the number of qualifications. Women might sit at eight or nine of 10 qualifications, men only at six, but more men than women will apply because you know women aren't as confident about their abilities to, to step forward. Um, I think they're also concerned about um, you know, being, um, you know, by being too confident and taking charge, they'll be viewed to be manly or bitchy or whatever the, the phrase are. Not that I haven't heard those myself many times in my career. Yeah. Um, you know, but I, but I think they need to, you know, just go for it. You know, a, uh, you know, big, you know, belief of mine is that, you know, if, if and, and this is for men or women, but if, if you don't ask for it, you're not going to get it, right? So you, you need to just be highly confident and comfortable in who you are and the skills that you bring, um, and the diversity that that brings to the team. I mean, I, you know, I never want to be hired for a role because I fill a quota. Yeah. Um, you know, I want to be there because I, I've earned it and I deserve to be sitting at the table. Um, and, and I think that's how, you know, women need to, to view it and be incredibly comfortable and demand it. Mm. And I will say on the leadership side, though, um, so I will always hire uh, for talent, skill, fit. I will never hire to fill a quota. That mm. said, where I think organizations fall down is presenting an equal slate of candidates from and when I in diversity, I'm not just talking gender. I'm talking much more broadly around diversity. So I hold, you know, the talent acquisition and recruitment teams accountable to bring leaders an equal slate of candidates to then give leaders the opportunity to choose and choose the best candidate. I, I just want to touch on, on a small point. When you say confidence, I think, like I think we, we both understand it in our context. But for someone watching, maybe someone who's a student, they they might not understand how to actually get to a place where they're very confident with themselves. Maybe for you that was fitness. Like I'm just trying to trying to narrow down on, on how how did you become more confident in yourself and your abilities and your capacity? What did you do? Yeah. So I I started. Um, so I grew into my extroversion. Um, I I wasn't I wasn't naturally born with it, or if I was, it was hidden for many years. Mm. And 
um, you know, my mom found me so shy that she actually put me into modeling to put, get me in a situation to sort of put me in front of the audience. Wow. Um, and, and that helped. Okay. But um, when I started and when I, I was in operations, my career, I told you I started, you know, in banking and working in contact centers and I wasn't sitting in front of clients and I was managing internal teams. When I made the leap into, um, you know, having ownership for commercial teams, client management and sales, that required, you know, me to get comfortable quickly, um, you know, with having conversations with, you know, strangers and in a, in a way that felt contrived. Um, I, at some point I just had to, I've used this phrase a number of times, um, you know, as I talk broadly, but fake it till you make it, um, you, you know, so I had to get comfortable with the discomfort, right? So putting myself into a networking event where I know I had to go and talk, there's a hundred people in the room and I'm here to, you know, build the brand of the organization I was working for, hopefully identify new prospects. Like that was uncomfortable for me. The whole notion of small talk wasn't something I liked or enjoyed. Um, so I just had to force myself to do it and to put myself out there. I leveraged, I was an actor in my youth. And so I sort of put myself in those shoes. It wasn't Victoria, you know, as Victoria, it was Victoria in whatever role I felt I needed to play salesperson, brand ambassador, et cetera. Yeah. And, and truly recognize walking in, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to feel uncomfortable. You're going to have butterflies in your stomach. Suck it up and do it. It's one hour. Know that the end, you know, that that's all you're doing and sort of take it in bite-sized chunks. It's an hour at a time now, you know, now. Next, it's a, you know, three, three day or three hour conference that I need to go to. Um, and eventually it gets so much easier. I mean, to the point where I say I grew into my extroversion. This was not comfortable for me, you know, at age 20, uh, you know, but who I sit now, I'm not going to give away my age. Um, um, but, you know, but, you know, here I am 20 something years later and, and I am comfortable, but it meant I was extremely comfortable with the discomfort and more typically, um, you know, women than men are, are less comfortable in those sorts of settings. You know, I'm I'm a tall woman to begin with, but I put my my big girl heels on and walked in and I stand six feet tall. And I'll tell you, physically dominating a room certainly helps with the discomfort, um, you know, that otherwise I, you know, I felt, you know, as a, as a 20 something year old. Love that. Love hearing that. That's really cool. Um, so, so last question I have for you is, Look, obviously you've accomplished so much, but I know you're not one to settle, and there's still a lot left for Victoria. So, so just wanted to ask you, what what's next? How do you envision the next five to ten? And is there still something that's lingering that you really want to do? Yeah, I mean, so Validate, it's a significantly smaller company than I'm used to running. Um, I bought it not with the intent of running it as the CEO, um, and so I, I'm not going to say never to going back to big corporate. Um, I bought it with, you know, the the plan to invest and grow the business. Some yeah. point I'm going to sell it um, and do it all over again. You know, so the you know the goal for me is I like um, leading large, hairy, complex businesses where there's something new and challenging every day. I do not like status quo. I don't want the routine. Um, so you know, the bigger the as I said, hairier, more challenging opportunity, the better. You know, so whether that means I go back to big corporate and running a business unit or a division for them, maybe. But I'm I am committed to um, you know continuing to grow and expand the entrepreneurial side of me through other businesses. Um, you know that I own. I'm currently now part of um, you know the board for a new tech startup, um, and looking at more actively getting involved in that. 
Um, you know, I, I, I'm not the type of person who, you know, lets grass grow. I mean, I don't see myself, you know, retiring. I'm still way too young to do that, but I don't even, you know, see myself doing that. I'll be in a very different setting, continuing to do passion projects. Um, you know, but for the next 20 years, it's, you know, leading, you know, really big organizations where I'm having a ton of fun. My brain hurts every day because I'm challenged thinking through, you know, new ideas. Um, while still continuing to invest and own, you know, ideally multiple businesses. Sweet. Well, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to sticking around to your journey and seeing what's next. I know a lot of people uh, you know, are going to get a lot of value and lessons from, from your experience, your background today. So thank you very much for doing this, Victoria. I really appreciate having you uh, on the show and having your time. Thanks for having me. All right, guys. Episode 21. See you later.